I'm Selena Sage, and Live Free is for our collective liberation. Namaste and welcome. The inspiration arose to record this podcast from a space of sincere gratitude. Thanks for you for listening to this podcast, for sending me your kind notes of support, and even your unexpected donations, which I never imagined would happen as a result of this podcast. It was really something that I felt inspired to do from a place of service, and especially when I was recording daily, was the best moment of my day. And now that I'm more in the groove of having a dog, (laughs) I'm sort of redefining my schedule and hopefully can record these episodes more frequently because they're wonderful for me as well. So I just want to thank you for all of your kindness and support. And I hope that this podcast, this simple offering, continues to be a source of positivity and inspiration for you as it is for me. And so today, without any real plan, I thought I would read a couple of passages from this book that I love, The Wa Jing, and I'll include the title and author in the episode notes for you. But it's The Unknown Teachings of Lao Tzu. And I remember when I first read the Tao Te Ching, I was amazed by all that was revealed. And it seemed very mysterious to me, but there's there's a feeling of truth to it. And as I grew in my own knowledge of self, of true self, just to me more of a deepening, it's a journey of no distance, I began to understand more and more of what it was saying. It was really profound. And when I discovered this book, The Wabu Jing, I was actually getting acupuncture from a Taoist monk at the time who had encouraged me to just read everything Lao Tzu. He's like, I could I know that you have a connection with Lao Tzu and you have to read more. And as I continued reading this book over the years, I mean, it's really like a very beat up book. (laughs) I continue to find what feels like new wisdom, even though I've read this book cover to cover many times. And there's this one passage that I keep coming to. So I thought, let me read that. And Since this season four seems to be very much about Zen, um, that was sort of the vibe that I went with, I'll just say that Taoism is really seen as the mother of Zen, and some scholars believe they're actually the same. And historically, though, Chayan Chayan Buddhism was something that developed when Bodhidharma came from India to China, and it mixed with Taoism and became Chayan, and then when it went to Japan, it became Zen. But I think if you look at the essence of of Zen, which is beyond any ritual or practice that you often find in more like the Zen Buddhist path, just the pure Zen path is very tied to, to Taoism. It's, it's all about just being in flow with nature. Water is the element that I think really represents both Zen and Taoism so beautifully. So This is really just um, an exploration of Taoism, but it's very much Zen. You know, the the concepts here that are from Lao Tzu could very much be from a Zen master. Um, So I'll read uh, the verse 41 and then I'll randomly pick another one or or two. 
depending on the inspiration. So verse 41 says, good and bad, self and others, life and death. Why affirm these concepts? Why deny them? To do either is to exercise the mind and the integral being knows that the manipulations of the mind are dreams, delusions, and shadows. Hold one idea and another competes with it. Soon the two will be in conflict with the third, and in time your life is all chatter and contradiction. Seek instead to keep your mind undivided. Dissolve all ideas into the, into the Tao. That's beautiful. Let's take it line by line. There's so much here. So good and bad, self and others, life and death. Those three comparisons really represent the nature of duality. You can't have good without bad. You can't define the self without a recognition of others. Life and death are two sides of, of the same you know, coin of existence. And so those are all those are all examples of duality. So this verse from Lao Tzu continues and says, why affirm these concepts? Why deny them? So this is pointing to the fact that as soon as you believe one of these concepts or if you disbelieve one of the concepts, that immediately creates division. You are entering into that world of duality when you affirm or deny these concepts. And he says to do either is to exercise the mind. So the mind is the, if you think of the grander self being this formless, changeless, void space, however you'd like to describe the Tao, as soon as it gets processed through the mind, which is a limit, limiting force, then that is when these concepts like self and other and duality come into play. You have to use the mind in order to create those separations. So this verse is saying to do either is to exercise the mind. So to affirm or deny any of these concepts is to take the formless, vastless isness and process it into this limiting scope. And it continues, and the integral being knows that the manipulations, the manipulations of the mind are genes, delusions, and shadows. So the integral being is another way that you can call the true self, the oneness, the Tao. The integral being is, is this presence before person. And so it knows that the manipulations of the mind are dreams, delusions, and shadows. So anything that's being processed through the limitations that naturally come about from the mind, which is this limited aspect of isness, are actually dreams, delusions, shadows. It's the vehicle by which the formless experiences form. And that in and of itself is a dream. <laughs> it's a delusion, it's a shadow. And the difference between this waking state and the dream state is that we continue waking up into this conditioned state where it feels like it's real. And so the, the continued, yeah, 
reemergence of this waking dream from our, you know, our conditioning makes us get immersed into this limited aspect of the formless. So the verse continues, hold one idea and another competes with it. So as soon as you have one idea, you'll have another and another and another. And often that's the mind's way of maintaining its importance, its relevancy by appearing to be this productive force. But it's something that actually gets you into the spiral that often manifests as depression, anxiety, because the mind is, is, you know, is taking control or actually you're giving the mind control over your, your beingness, which is, doesn't even make sense because it's, it's this limited aspect, but it's something that happens from condition, conditioning. The oneness that we truly are gets conditioned to believe that it's a separate aspect of existence and there's you know there's little s self and others in terms of the mind but it says hold one idea and another competes with it soon the two will be in conflict with the third and in time your life is all chatter and contradiction and this is this is what ha can happen if we give too much power and attention to the mind so the mind continues to generate all these ideas that manifest as this like continuous stream of chatter, which is in the form of thoughts, memories, ideas, projections of the future. All of those things begin to just fill up the space that initially was just silence, bliss, peace into this noise, this cacophony of noise from the mind as just these thoughts that really don't have any weight unless we give attention to them. And so if you're giving attention to the mind, all of that chatter and contradiction that results from these continuous ideas that are forming really seem to take away your peace, but it's like peace is what you are. So it's really just, distracting you it's distracting you into believing that these thoughts are real and so you get distracted from the truth of your beingness which is that silence and that peace so the final guidance here is seek instead to keep your mind undivided keep your mind undivided what does that mean it means to transcend the mind itself because as long as you are trying to control your thoughts it won't work. <laughs> Thoughts will keep coming. But if you instead elevate the level of your consciousness and watch your thoughts, you are transcending the mind. You are recognizing the true nature of your beingness as this observer. And from that observer consciousness, the mind does not exist. And therefore, the last line here is dissolve all ideas into the Tao. All ideas naturally dissolve because you are just observing it. You're not, you're not being the mind. You're observing the mind. So you're transcending all of that chatter, all of those contradictions, and you're elevating the level of your consciousness to 
to the space of the Tao where the mind does not even exist. Those dreams, delusions, and shadows dissolve on their own just through the power of your attention when you watch the thoughts. And if you don't believe me, you should definitely try it because this is a recognition of your power. Not your power as a person, your power as what you truly are, which is beyond the person. And so when we take ourselves to just be the person, we will suffer the experience of personhood, which is necessarily changeful. As soon as there's birth, there has to be death. This is the cycle of life because of duality. If there is a self, if there's a you, then there have to be others. If there's good, there has to be bad. These are the aspects that come into play when you are entering this limited vehicle of personhood. So this wisdom is so full of pointers that are really directing you back to your true nature as the Tao itself, as this formless awareness that all is appearing within. And as you recognize your position as the witness, as the observer, you become confirmed in this recognition. And that is really the essence of awakening. So I'll read one more verse and just randomly open the book, see what we get to. Okay. So this is verse 76. Who can save the world? Perhaps one who devotedly follows these teachings, who calms her mind, who ignores all divergence, who develops a high awareness of the subtle truths, who merges her virtue with the universal virtue, and it extends it to the world without expectation of reward. She will indeed be the savior of the world. Oh, this is beautiful. Kind of perfect. It fits with what I was saying before about the beauty of not um, expecting any reward. So let's go through this line by line again. So who can save the world? I think this is something that, you know, I had many years ago, this, this idea that, you know, I needed to do something to help people, you know, I need to just kind of save the world. That was my, that was my mission. That was my purpose. And this is something that I think we often look outwardly when we're doing those things. I was already, already volunteering and, you know, and I think that probably inspired me to publish my first book. Like, yes, I really want to help people. But then as I went through the process of writing my books and kind of sharing the messages, sharing this podcast, you recognize that your intention to save the world always starts with saving yourself. (laughs) So if I look at my books, at this podcast, at any positive thing that I've ever felt like I've done, while the intention was never to help myself, was really the the intention was to help others, it was always helping myself, which I think, you know, kind of dissolves this idea of, of self and others, 
as well, because you realize this oneness that when you do things for others, you're really helping yourself. I think I have a question about that in my first book too. I'll have to find it and add it to my social media. But yeah, this this idea of of saving the world is something that usually is is an outwardly focused thing. But I think the true masters and the the greatest teachers just always point you back to yourself. And this is something you find when you when you set out to try to save the world and help others that oh yeah, I really need to I need to save myself. <laughs> and then when you have that recognition there actually is no self and there is no other, it all really makes sense because everything you're doing out in the world is ultimately for yourself. And when you are able to go inwardly and recognize the true nature of beingness, you you know that this play is, is happening because of you. Like you're the creator of your reality. But I'll continue with the verse. <laughs> so who can save the world? Perhaps one who devotedly follows these teachings, who calms her mind. So this first part, I think, is really much about, it's really about this, this focus that you initially have to give to the process of awakening. So, you know, it's, it's to... First, it's distracting your mind, right? Like, so the teachings from from masters like Lao Tzu really allow you to focus on the words, even if you don't understand them. Somehow, when I was reading this book cover to cover, you know, many, many years ago, it was calming because my attention was focused on the teachings. And so it automatically calm my mind because my mind wasn't thinking about 10,000 other things. It was just focused on the teaching. And maybe there was a little bit of resistance as I was trying to understand the teaching, but nothing like what it would have been if I was just focusing on, you know, all of the things that I needed to do. Like I remember when I would take this book um, when I was in college to a, a nearby Baha'i temple and I would just read this book on the grounds and I had all these things, you know, I was an engineering student. I had tons of homework, lots of exams, many projects to work on. But in those moments, I just focused on what I was reading. And that somehow calmed me. So I think that's the beauty of, of practice, of, of reading and exploring this wisdom from the masters, because it allows you to, you know, divert your attention, your attention is a great power, diverts that from the chatter, the endless chatter of the mind and into something greater, even before you fully understand it. It's like something within you knows that this feels right. And some people gain that feeling from reading the Bible or the Quran or, you know, the Upanishads. Like there's no, um, to me, there's no formula of, of what you have to read. It's just whatever that whatever ancient or sacred text that you read that speaks to you, that gives you, it kind of pulls you in and makes you really focus on it. 
that is doing something magical. I also get that from poetry when I read Rumi um, or Hafiz or, um, you know, a number of Japanese poets like Basho. Those are those are additional ways to really divert your attention to something that is I don't I don't even know the word. It's maybe more beautiful. It's more beautiful than all the worries and the stress and the anxieties that your mind is is naturally having. Just give yourself even if it's just 5 minutes a day that special time that you're just reading things that somehow expand you. That's beautiful. That in of itself is beautiful. So the next part is who ignores all divergence, who develops a high awareness of subtle truths. So this is, again, it's like as you're, as you're focused on these teachings and as your mind is calming, you start to, you start to elevate your level of consciousness beyond the separation. And so, and so the divergence just seems to blur out. You don't see self and other the same way. You're not even thinking about otherness. And something about the truths kind of like seeps in and you have this awareness that, yeah, this is truth. Even if I don't fully understand it, this is, this feels like truth. Who merges her virtue with the universal and extends it to the world without expectation of reward. I think this is, this is basically like, you know, as you go deeper into what, what the Zen practice or path, however you want to call the teachings, term is emptiness. Like you start to recognize this emptiness is in fact full of love. And so when you are merged in and as oneness, there's a natural love and compassion that you have for everyone because you recognize that we are one. And so this virtue, you know, it says it merges with the universal virtues. It's basically like this love that you feel from a personal level merges with universal love. And it's just extended to the world without expectation of reward. And if you see, you know, um, enlightened masters engaged in darshan, which is, you know, their, their gift, their service, Alma comes to mind who just gives hugs to people. <laughs> um, Mother Teresa was kind of known for feeding people and taking care of the, the needy. Jesus, of course, was savior to, in, in some perspectives, all mankind by sacrificing his life. These are services that these masters these beings gave to the world without any expectation of reward. And of course, when you have those figures, they can be seen as polarizing. And one of the names I mentioned might've triggered something that, you know, your personhood is, you know, in opposition to that you have an opinion or a feeling that may not be positive about one of those 
beings, but know that that's happening within a space of division. Because as soon as you see that other as being other, you are engaging in this divisiveness, in this world of duality, instead of recognizing that every single being who ever was and whoever will be is all you. (laughs) It's just different manifestations of consciousness. And those different manifestations that are among us, you know, as we in this engage in this phenomenal reality in this world, we will have opinions because we think they're other. But from the recognition of the oneness that you truly are, there's no distinction because there is no there is no world. It's all just happening in this, you know, I kind of think of it as like a field of awareness. And the mind is the vehicle. <clears throat> it's the mind is only just the current thought, the current feeling, current emotion. It's it's what creates the moment-to-moment experience. And this body is just an aspect of that experience. You know, the dog that entered my life is just an aspect of that experience. And so I know there are days when, you know, maybe I don't feel like getting out of bed (laughs) um, to walk her at 7 a.m., but I just, it's like, oh, this has to happen. It's not me. You know, it's just like this, this greater force is at work that is making everything happen that's causing the flowers to bloom, the sun to shine. It's, it's not because of our efforts. We have to get our person out of the way and allow that universal force to continue to flow because everything is taken care of beautifully. So when you do that without expectation of reward, you're in alignment with that ultimate reality. And so the verse ends with, she will indeed be the savior of the world. And this is because you are only focused on your own peace. And peace is your true nature. So as you are engaging the world as peace, you know, from that space of peace, peace is as your beingness, everything is naturally happening in the most beautiful way. And so the encouragement, you know, from these two beautiful verses, the Wabujing is to remain undivided. You know, do not get caught up in the distinctions of self and other, the chatter of mind and all the thoughts that flow. Recognize if you want to save the world, It starts with just recognizing what you truly are. Go inside first. You can still do beautiful service and kind things for others, but spend a little time on this discovery because when you truly recognize the oneness that you are, all of those divisions will dissolve on their own, will dissolve into the Tao. And you'll know that to be you.
So even if it's just five minutes a day, devote some time to this inner exploration. And you can do this without any reading of any kind. Just become the silence that you are. And how do you do that? You shift the level of your consciousness to observe your mind because when you transcend the mind, all naturally becomes quiet. The mind is the source of the noise. And as you transcend that, you're connected with and as your true nature, as the silence, the great quiet, the Tao. And of course, that is what I always wish for you. (laughs) And as always, I thank you for being here. Namaste.